Ahoy, and welcome aboard to Everybody Ships Us. I'm Shelley Norfleet. I'm Bonnie Dolan. And we are best friends and roommates, and that's it. We know everybody not so secretly ships us, which gave us a brilliant idea. We decided to date for one hour each week right here in our living room and see where it leads. And today's a very special date because we have a third wheel joining us. Her name is Jessie Santiago, an artist and hair expert who owns an amazing hair salon here in Long Beach. Salon Vendors has become a safe haven for queer people of all ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds in Southern California. They do gender-affirming haircuts, silent cuts. They link their clients with community resources from which they might benefit. And they have an incredible program called Give a Cut, where people can donate haircuts to those in the community who can't afford to get them. Jessie is an angel on earth, a powerhouse of a business owner, and can you believe it, our lovely friend. We can't wait for you to meet her and date her along with us in this two-part episode. Because what is dating if not, I don't know, finding out that we may or may not technically be in a polyamorous relationship? So let's do this. But we're not dating at all. I love this lamp. Thank you. It was um, from my childhood home, kind of. It, my mom bought it to stage our house to sell. Mm-hmm. It's cute. And then I was like, you're coming home with me. Yeah. <laughs> when I had to move out because she sold the house I was currently living in. <laughs> yep. Well, at least you could, uh, the lamp could be your, you know, consolation prize there. Yeah, right? <laughs> I get a <laughs> lamp for the house I didn't have yet. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Speaking of childhood home, <laughs> where did you grow up? So you said you grew up in Virginia, right? Oh, gosh. Yes, I did. I grew up, well, I kind of grew up in two places. So my mom and dad were separated when, like, I never, never remember living with my dad. But my mom grew up in New York City, um, and her whole entire family lived in New York City. We moved around a lot, but when my mom and dad officially separated, she found, she found, she wanted to raise us in a place that was not the city um, and hoped that we would have, like, a better childhood than she did. So she moved to Virginia Beach, who where, like, I had a, an aunt. And so in the summers, which is kind of weird because you wouldn't think, but the summer times and some holidays, most holidays, I would go to New York City and spend like many, many months with my family there. And then I would come back home for the school year in Virginia. So it was good for me because I got such a a mixed, I, I could see what was outside of the city. Or yeah. uh, I could see what was outside of Virginia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think, regulated me so much more as a child. Because if I think if I did not have that experience in New York City at all, I think I would have been much more traumatized than I <laughs> Honestly, because like if that was my only experience of what was out there, I think that I would have been like, I am a freak. I already felt freaky, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's my story. That's a good story. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what was like sort of the demographic makeup of Virginia, like the area of Virginia that you were in? It was, it was mostly white, like country, old Southern, Mm. old Southern people. I literally lived in a neighborhood that, that 
the history of it was across the tracks was where the black and brown people went. Oh, no. And there was there was an ice cream, old ice cream store called Dumars. And it was across the railroad tracks, and they were they were one of the first people to. This was the legend. I don't know. I should we should do some research on this. That had the twisty. Um, they called it the black and white, but it was just a twist ice cream cone, chocolate vanilla. Oh yeah. And they were like one of the only people to like have like any kind of integration at that time in Virginia. Oh, so it's um, like an ice cream, but it was also a metaphor for like. Life in the, yeah. the world. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, and they kept it all like classic and, you know, old school looking. But literally like that's how I grew up was, um, I mean, racism was all around. I mean, Confederate flags were oh, a part of my everyday experience. So, Yikes. I mean, that's, you know, I, I didn't realize how... I didn't real. I really did not realize how uh, isolated I was, honestly, until I moved to California. Because even though I had a lot of experiences in New York City and I was raised by New Yorkers, it wasn't enough to feel okay. <laughs> <laughs> like on a daily basis, like it was just not enough. I needed. I needed to be submerged in like. This is all okay. Like your identity is okay, but no, it was white and old and and I also lived in like the hood too. So like it was like the poor people in Virginia were better better than the rich people. And my neighborhood was pretty diverse. So there, you know, like I had I had a lot of like mixed race friends, black friends, white friends, um, and, like, I had one Filipino friend who I adored, loved her, um, because she was, like, as close to my skin color as, like, me, you know? Uh And I was just like, her name was Lisa. Uh, Lisa Escobar, this one's for you. And she's queer. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Lisa. (laughs) Shout out. Oh, my God. If she were listening to this, I just want to say that you totally saved my life many, many times. Like, she just, I would, like, look at her and she'd be like, you're cool. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm I'm okay. (laughs) Um, was she, so would she, would you say that she was your best friend at that time? No, she wasn't. She was just always there. Like she was in all of my classes, her and another boy named Juan Edwards. He was a black boy and I was in love with him. I loved him so much. And I think he liked me too. And we, but we never really talked about it because like, oh my God, because his best friend, DJ Newhart was had a crush on me and was like my first kiss, but I was only hanging out with DJ to hang out with Juan. Ooh, anyway, DJ Newhart. In the house, right? <laughs> Anyhow, gosh, you know, seven-year-old drama. No, how old was I? Nine? I don't, who knows? But um, what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, Lisa Escobar. Put some respect okay, on her yeah. name. Okay, Lisa Escobar, Lisa Escobar, yeah. No, she always came to my birthday parties, her and her little sister, and she always would bring me, like, the dopest presents. Um, but we, she wasn't my best friend. She was just, like, a solid friend that was always there, like, throughout all of the years. And I kept up with her, like— I love that. —through high school. And she ended up being queer. Uh, I love that even more. Queer people find each other. I know. Even before From your childhood. Yeah, <laughs> before you even know. <laughs> yep, totally. So who was your best friend? 
Oh my gosh. <clears throat> okay. My best friend was Lindsay Claybone. If she listens to this, she's not going to listen to this because she's a Trump supporter. Oh, oh Lindsay. Lindsay. Lindsay, Lindsay. She Lindsay. was my best friend. It was so wild. She was like such a badass, right? She was like, she was like the first one to wear like um the um flannel wrapped around her waist. And she Ooh, like she dyed her hair with um Kool-Aid. <laughs> Oh my she gosh, dipped. you're unlocking a core memory. Right? <laughs> she used to dip. She would be like, she'd boil it and like dip half of her head in red. And she'd, she had blonde hair. And so I was always like, oh my God, I wish I could do that. So, you know, she always wore like ripped up clothes. And she used to like cuss out her mom. And I would be like, dude. That's that's like some heavy shit, you know. <laughs> and my my mom could not stand her. She was like, "You're not allowed to hang out with her." And I would like sneak to hang out with her. Just thought she was like the coolest. She used to like wrap pieces of hair around her tongue and like do this weird thing with it and like like make knots with her. Like it, she was what a weirdo. She was. Ooh. It was like, she, like her hair was long enough so that yeah. she could like create a knot in yes. it and tie it off. Yes, with her tongue. That's. Such a weird party trick. She was an <laughs> odd bird, right? She, but I, that was the reason why I liked her. And she was the only person that, like, she wasn't afraid. She was just, like, ever herself. She was not afraid of anybody or anything and just didn't give a shit about what people thought about her. She would beat boys up. She would she would she did, didn't care. And I just loved that like rebellious streak in her and she was just like my best friend and we kind of kept in touch throughout the years and then Trump became the president and she started like uh, like saying some weird very like I would say something like um something about trans rights or something like that and she would like respond with like um, I can't believe how um, how we grew up in the same area and how ignorant you are. You are? Excuse me? And I was like, my little troll fingers wanted to just be like, you know, like, but I was like, I need to rise above this and I'm not going to even engage in this kind of conversation because when you're dealing with that type of separation in opinion, there's literally no point. Like, it, I would argue with her straight up in her face for 100%, but I'm not going to fucking do this over the goddamn internet. No. 25 yeah. years later. I'm not doing it. Like, no. Goodbye. Because everybody's just going to become more entrenched in what they already believe. They're, it's literally pointless. Exactly. And all that's going to do is, and I mean, I was already drained of energy. I was, we were in trauma mode. Hello. Yeah. I was like, not going to do it. So I blocked her and deleted her, which I actually love the block feature of social media. I love it. I love that and the unfriend. The unfri- oh, it's so unfriend, satisfying. You motherfucker. Oh, it's oh, yeah, so good. I love it. Me too. I'm I'm the same. So I unfriended and blocked and I felt really empowered by that. So that was my best friend. That was a recent separation. That was like yeah. 2016. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Ugh. That's kind of heartbreaking after 25 years to where like did you did you kind of see the seeds of separation growing and then this was kind of like the very obvious final straw? No. That's the thing. Like Lindsay was the like the epitome of like fuck you energy. Like I'm not going to follow your rules. So, but no, I mean, I always saw her like her rebellious streak as like 
kind of more anti-following and like almost like kind of anti-America or anti-government kind of (laughs) more anarchist than, you know, than like the, I don't know. It's just weird. But she married this rich dude and had two kids and, you know, like, I don't know. I... I, what I'm saying is that I've always felt separate from the people that I grew up with. I don't think I realized it until I was away from them for 25 years, right. really. Um, and so to see us dwindling apart, like we were always apart because I was never myself there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like none of those people that I grew up with, very few people that I grew up with, I, I feel like know me. Like this version of me. Because I was, you know, I was role playing, you know, masking. Yeah, totally masking my whole entire life, not even knowing that I was. Yeah. It's wild. So I'm sorry. I was, no, you're, you were. It unlocked something for you too. Well, I was, I was taking that in the concept of masking without even knowing that you are. How different are you now from when you were growing up in Virginia? Like, how different, how much more open are you? Oh, no one has ever asked me this question. Um, I think that for people who saw me from the outside wouldn't think that I'm very different. Um, I think that almost everyone I grew up with would be like, that girl stayed the same from from childhood <laughs> till now, right? Um, my personality is, is pretty similar. I've always kind of just been like straightforward and this type of like communicator. But my core person, like who I actually am, how much I have changed is quite a lot because I had a lot of internalized homophobia, a lot of internalized um, shame around, you know, my hair, my skin, um, the way that I spoke. I had a lot of, I I dealt with a lot of self-worth stuff and, um, you know, battled with my image because I didn't ever fit in any box. And so I tried on a lot of, I mean, of course, a lot of teenagers probably did this, but I tried on a lot of identities. I, you know, I I was going to do this to fit in with this crowd, this, 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 just to try to fit someplace where now the person that I am, I'm like, oh, I'm like the boxes, there are no boxes anymore. Like I don't check a box because like that shit doesn't even exist. And I'm I'm just much more able to not be such a chameleon and be really true to the the person that I am now and how like how I feel today. And so I think that I'm very different, but my personality has has stayed similar, I'd say. I fully identify with that and get that and uh, I've been kind of working on this with my therapist because Growing up and making friends and feeling so different, I felt like I had to bring something to the table to like belong or to 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 maintain my standing and my friendships. So I adopted this like larger than life personality. I would I would always want to be the one making people laugh and like making everything into a joke and like 
maybe not being the center of attention, but like always like being a good distraction for people. And like, and I felt like I had to, I felt like that was what I needed to do to belong. So I put on that personality so much that I couldn't, I didn't have time to figure out what I, my actually, my actual personality was. And now that I'm older, that is my personality. I do like being like the, like making jokes and making people laugh and being sometimes the center of attention and ridiculous, but not because I have to, to survive in the friendships or to, to survive and to like, to, to belong somewhere, but because that's who I am. So I'm not different, but I'm so different. Totally. Exactly. Like you, you're like, you're still the, the light of the party. You're still the, per- like somebody would say, that's the same person that I grew up with, but the way that you feel on the inside is totally different and why you're doing what you're doing. Right. Like, yeah. I think before I would, you know, I would be like, I like, I'm doing this. Um, I'm, I'm doing this because it's cool. Rather than like, I'm going to get tattoos because it's cool rather than like getting tattoos because I like tattoos. Yeah. Right? You know, and so like it's it's just a completely different person. Yeah. And also being able to have multiple sides. Like, yes, I like to make people laugh. Yes, I like to like be ridiculous and like shove food in my face for like for a joke. Yeah. But also I can be vulnerable now. I can it, with the same group of people. Like, and that's the most important thing is I think surrounding myself with people that I could have the full range. I could be completely on. I could be completely drained. I right. can be somewhere in the middle and just not have a whole lot going on with me that day. And it's and like that's the kind of growth because I before could only have the big personality and I'd save all the other stuff for like behind closed doors and feeling like I, and masking mm-hmm. masking that personality and and presenting that and not feeling genuine in that. And now I don't have to do that sometimes. 100%. Do I still tech, do I do still do it sometimes? Yes. I think we all do. But we're we're working. We're works in progress. Yeah, totally. I yes, 100% to all of that. I totally feel like we see eye to eye in, <laughs> in that in that way. For Can sure. I ask you um because I found myself doing this a lot in my teenage years in my early 20s um in romantic relationships and looking at partnerships, I would, like you were saying, you're a chameleon, I would chameleon myself into something that they would like and want to be with um, because of my childhood trauma of being abandoned and wanting to make sure that that wouldn't happen again. And I'm not putting my childhood trauma on you, but sometimes we do similar behaviors for different reasons. Oh, yeah. Did you do that in your romantic relationships growing up? Oh, my gosh. This is such a good... You are hitting today with these questions. (laughs) Hit, hit, hit. Thank you so much. I'm just uh, putting my stuff on you and seeing if that's true. (laughs) Bring it on, sister. Throwing things against the wall, seeing if they stick. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Roll the ball. I will always play. Um, So, I mean, yeah. It's... It's interesting that you're asking this question because um, I am I am in uh, in mental health treatment right now, and last week was my very first week talking about my relationships, like ever in six months. I haven't spoken one word about relationships until last week's um, session, and the this this question came up. Oh, wow. I know. Am I a therapist? No, I was like, um, were you 
there, possibly, you know, fly on the wall. You don't know. Um, so, no. It, it, little did you know, I was. She was in the were, vents. You were, you were, um, you were Bonnie in uh, my therapist, Lori Skin. That's right. I was just prepping for this podcast interview. <laughs> well, um, here's a big clump seed for you. I mean, yes, I did. I did that so hard in relationships, but, and I did that, oh my gosh, I did that more in my relationships than I think I did that in my friendships because I was sexualized as a child, literally. So I got my period when I was eight years old. Mm. Okay. I started developing, literally developing. Like, I mean, I was like B cup in like fourth grade. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was like a little woman. So- I had a very weird relationship with my body. I th- I felt like my body was like not my body and I felt like it was completely against me because when you have to have a conversation with your 8-year-old saying you're a woman now and you can get pregnant like something clicks off in the head. You know, like something is just not fully uh there. And I was just kind of like, "Huh?" But then the world started treating me differently because I started looking different, right? Right. And I was developing, and I was full grown by the time I was in sixth grade. Curves, swerves, the whole nine. If I showed you pictures, you would be like, oh, you were 12? Um, Yeah, 12. Yikes. So I, this relationship that I had with my body was, it's, it's not mine. My worth is the way that I look. Because that was what everyone commented on. Mm-hmm. Um, women, men, other kids, my age, people who are older than me, teenagers, everyone. That was the first, their first subject was the way that I looked. And so, and, and I, and it was also like, you know, being sexualized at a young age, I didn't understand, I didn't understand sex or love, or romance, or intimacy, and the differences between all of those things. So my only understanding was, what do you want from me? And that's what I'm supposed to give to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. And and if I don't give that to you, whatever it is that you want, then, then what then what is the point of me even existing? Like, what's the point of me even being in your life? But we're we're complicated at that age, right? When we're like starting to have sex and think about sex or date or whatever, we're so complicated at that age. We're so like, we don't understand, you know, enough, I think. And so um, I would dress and act and be ways that I knew were quote, inappropriate for that time and age. I mean, the world is changing a little bit now. So saying something is inappropriate now. But I mean, I was like 13, 14 years old, like wearing a push-up bra. What year was this? Like contextually, Um, where are we in the timeline of like humankind? (laughs) Well, it was was like 1997, 98, 99, you know? I mean, it was was not this time, you know? Right. I remember... Um, the girls who developed early when I was in elementary school and there was like a label put on them by, I don't even know who did it. It was everyone. It was just sort of an understanding that like just because uh, they developed, they went through puberty before everybody else, 
uh, they were somehow like sort of whores. Like yeah. that was kind of the the dichotomy of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Because w- since we developed earlier, that means we did everything earlier. earlier. Yeah. That's right. So we were like, you know, easy and fast and whatever it was. I mean, and and then so those labels being put on me already, I was like, well, I might as well just do that. Yeah, since live up I'm to being them. accused of it. Like I did not I did not know how to use a tampon. It was like my a sixth grade dance, and I had had my period a million times. And finally, my friends were starting to get their period. And this girl, Nicole Tarr, how do I remember all these names? <laughs> it's incredible. like both names, too. Yeah. Like everybody's first and last names. That was that's a Virginia thing, by the way. That's like a Southern thing. I think if you have if you ever meet anybody else, we always remember everyone's first and last name. <laughs> anyway, but Nicole Tarr, she was like the coolest. She had that um, that fan bang. This before, but it was like the coolest. If you could get that high fan bang, ooh, and she did it every time. I was like, "Damn, girl, you got that fan bang." Where's but, that? Where's that YouTube tutorial, Nicole? Uh, Nicole, I, I, she's probably. Oh God, who knows? I mean, anyway, so <laughs> so she's like, just just. I ha- got my period. I was like, oh my God, we're going to the dance. She's like, oh, I have a tampon. Okay. I was in that bathroom with the tampon and the applicator, the whole thing. I was like, well, okay. First of all, you know, I was a virgin. I'm like, ow. Oh, my God. I have to walk around like this? And she, and I'm like, I can't pull my underwear up because I need to get the applicator off. Oh. (laughs) But, yeah, because you don't know how to do it. (laughs) And it was a cardboard applicator back in the day? No. Ew. I know. Right. And so I was like, I just like took it off, it took, like d- uh, disconnected and like wadded up some toilet paper, put that junk in my paintings and was like, let's go. And that was literally the first time I had ever interacted with my vagina ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ever. I was like, that doesn't exist. So it's there. super foreign to you. Foreign. Yeah. Totally. I mean, and that's that's kind of late in the game, really. Like after you've had your period for a long time. Like my my vulva and vagina and my genitals were just like not they did were not part of my body. Just no. Not there. No, yeah. Ignore Wild. them as much as you could. Yeah, exactly. What are we teaching young girls? Like right. what were they teaching young girls at my age? You know, like right. nothing. I remember my sex education class, or I guess it was my health class that we had like a sex education week. All I remember is the condom de- demonstration. I know, right? There was nothing about periods. There was nothing about any other part of your sexual health or your your physical health or like your puberty or your pubescent body. In sixth grade, we had a mother-daughter tea to explain that periods happen. But that was it. A mother-daughter tea? Yes, a mother-daughter like, tea. You drink tea? <laughs> yes. We, we had talk the, about periods. In the multi-purpose room, they <laughs> the wheeled in. Multi-purpose room. They <laughs> wheeled in a TV. They played a stupid little video about like how it's a it's it's a celebration and it's wonderful. And like, so when this girl got her period, her parents took her to Disneyland. And when this person got her period, <laughs> she got to go to the Ritz Carlton. And so all they told us is that when you get your period, celebrate it. They didn't, t- which is great. Uh, yeah, it's much better than bad. like, I, like yeah. than making it shameful. But yeah. they didn't tell us about pads, tampons, any any way to take care of ourselves, <laughs> like what it's gonna look like. When I got my period for the first time, I thought I pooped my pants. Yep. Because it was, I looked, I just went to the bathroom during PE, looked down, and there was brown. Yep. And I was like, excuse me. Yeah. Nobody says it's gonna be brown. No. Right. 
They they just said it's like bleeding. And so I'm like, great. When you cut your finger, it's that same color. It's exactly. that same blood. But it's not. No. It's fully brown. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know what was happening to me either. Yeah. Luckily, I had a good enough, good enough. I had a great relationship with my mom. Um, and so I asked <laughs> her enough. about it and she was like, oh, your period's starting. And then she like gave me a little like panty liner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's all I gained from it. So when I got my period, I was just like, I don't know how to do use pads or tampons, but hey, take me to Outback Steakhouse because it's a celebration. That's right. I was like, look, I don't know how to use a pad or a tampon or a panty liner, but can we go to Disneyland? Because yeah. it's on. Did you get the blooming onion? I of course got the blooming onion. Because you were blooming. Oh, oh god. My god. <laughs> canceled. You're canceled. <laughs> I don't somebody that, take look, me to Outback I'm Steakhouse for Outback that comment. Steakhouse for that mom joke all day, every day. Oh, I am here for it. Lordy. I love that. I love it. Oh my God. Yeah. Periods. Period. 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 <laughs> Period. Period. That's the end of a sentence. Period. <laughs> So we've grown past our young relationships, and now you're in relationships now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're comfortable with talking about them, we would love to talk about your partners. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> uh, what? How did you meet your partners? I don't know what questions to ask. <laughs> I'm an open book. You can ask me anything anyway. I won't get offended. Um, so I met Cal. So Cal and I have been together for five years, and I met him on the internet, on the OkCupid. Okay oh. Yes. And it was a really, oh, my God. Our first date story is hilarious. I It is so funny, and I will share that. Um, but I will answer the full question first. And I met my girlfriend, Key, through the hair salon. Um we had a lot of community events and things when we first opened before pre-COVID and all of these parties and just all of that stuff. And, and Key would always go. She was just like one of the most amazing community supporters. Um, and at the beginning, we only had a couple a couple of them. So like we cherished our community supporters, especially the people who helped us like financially and people who helped us with like events and stuff like cleaning, just literally setting up and cleaning. It's like the most incredible thing when somebody stays to the end and says, no, I'm going to take out the trash with you. And you're like, as a young entrepreneur and event person, you're like, are you for real? Yeah. (laughs) Really? She just, she was always just so supportive. And then we became friends and we started a little girl band with some friends. (laughs) No way. Yeah, I swear. What was it called? Oh, we didn't have a name. Yeah, we were just like, we were going to call ourselves um, Breast Friends. And then we were going to call ourselves Breasties. But then we were like, <laughs> that should have been the name of our podcast. Breasties. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. And then I was like, but, you know, I mean, we also had like, like, we wanted to be more like inclusive to people who didn't have boot. It just got really like we got in our heads about it. And then we were like, let's just not have a na- name and let's just like sing old cranberry songs. <laughs> So it wasn't even really a band. We just literally got together, played instruments, and sang songs. You were jamming. We were basically playing like we were playing karaoke. That's but that is so much fun. Yeah. Oh, it was super fun. Like it was my favorite time of the day um, or of the week, I'd say. So yeah, and and then from there, kind of like started developing a crush on her, and was like, oh. 
here are my polyamorous roots showing. <laughs> and, and you know, Cal and I um, were together at that point for three years. And I entered into the relationship with Cal. It was very, it was a unique time because I wasn't fully aware or developed in my sexuality. I wasn't fully developed um, in my identity. I was not, I like didn't even really identify as queer anymore when I met him. Um, It's a complicated story, but he actually was the person who was like, I think you might be non-monogamous. And I was like, hmm, what? Excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? You know, like, I mean, I knew what non-monogamous was, right? But I didn't like, didn't really understand the complexity of it. And he was like, well, you've told me multiple times, because this was my spiel when I first met someone. I was like, listen, I'm... I am going to be like the coolest girlfriend. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to like have some amazingly hot times and all of these things. But please don't fall in love with me because I will cheat on you. I will. Like it's going to happen and I don't want to break your heart. So let's just have fun right off the bat. And that was like my thing. Like Mm -hmm. I just didn't want anybody to fall in love with me. Although I could fall in love with them and I would feel like I'm in love with them. But I was going to cheat on you, like, hands down, period. And I always held this deep-rooted shame, just deep, deep deep-rooted shame. And I would start my all of my relationships, like, superficially. Like, you know, whatever you need to do, if you need to think about your saggy-ass grandma titties, like, to not, like, get too deep with me, then you need to do that. Because, like, I don't—I— I didn't want to break anybody's heart anymore. And that's how I spent most of my years in the queer community and just dating in general is just like being a total heart wrecker, home wrecker, uh, just a shit person in relationships. But I met Cal and I told him the thing that I tell everybody, (laughs) listen, bro, don't fall in love with me. I'm kind of fucking crazy. I can't, you know, I can't keep my, I can't keep my, like, my stuff in my pants, so. And Cal was like, sign me the fuck up. Oh, he, I, I, seriously, Shelly, he was like, oh, really? He was kind of like, well, how crazy are you? I mean, because I don't really like crazy all that much, but can I hump your leg? I'm like, dude, like, you, you look, everybody likes a little bit of crazy. A little bit. So, um, but anyway, he was the person that was like, I think that what if you didn't think about it that way? Like, what if you didn't think about you cheating on everybody as like a shameful part of you? And I was like, well, like this was completely alien to me. I never, I had never heard someone say like the most deep and shameful part of me was actually like uh, a feature, not a bug, you know? And yeah. and he was like, he was like, maybe you just have this ability. And I was like, oh. I do. Because, I mean, I have been in love with multiple people, not ethically, but many times in my life. And so um, so the conversation wasn't super uh, out of the norm. So when I told him, I'm like, I think I'm developing a crush. Obviously, we went through all of the, like, you know, the initial poly things, which are is a lot. But um, ultimately, our relationship, me and Cal, started to... Like, I mean, man, our relationship now is seriously better than it's ever been in, in 
the whole five years we've been together. We are so in love and like we just adore each other in such a special way. It shows the couple, like the two times I've been around you two as a couple. I'm like, I'm in love with your love. Like it's so beautiful. you Shelly <laughs> honestly he's like oh, I just love him he's so he's my everything I just love him so much and key too like they are literally they're the perfect I'm like off the market because I feel like I could not be more complete like mm-hmm. as a human being I, I, I feel like I mean and polyamory is, is interesting because a lot of people will think that it is like oh you're being it's like bisexuality Mm-hmm. You remember like biphobia whenever it's like, you just need to make up your mind. Like yeah. you're just like greedy. fucking greedy. Do yeah. I remember it? We experience we, it. Oh, yeah. See, <laughs> still oh, to this day. <laughs> people are still doing that shit. Yeah. Get a fucking clue already. I like know. for real. I know. Anyway, so, but people are like, oh, you just can't be satisfied with one person. No fool. No one can. Like, look, this is how I see it. First of all, we have we have the ability to have multiple children and love them the same, mm-hmm. right? But that doesn't, that can't, only in platonic love, that can't. That is a should, fair point. I have never thought about the children aspect of it. I mean, come on. It's a really good comparison. And then we have, like, you two are BFFs, right? Yes. Do you both like exactly the same kind of food all the time? No. No. But we have a similar diet slash restriction. We have a similar diet, but we also, you know, have different Opinions on things and foods. Preferences. 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 Exactly. So like pizza, right? You were talking about pizza earlier. You were saying like, yeah, I could give or take pizza. And, you know, Bonnie was like, I really like pizza. I love pizza. It's my favorite food. (laughs) Exactly. So let's, if I, I, my favorite food was pizza, right? And we know Shelly's favorite food is not pizza. Right. Wouldn't it make more sense for you to be like, hey, Jesse, do you want to go have pizza? Shelly, you're invited. You want to come? But- do you want to have pizza with me so that we can really enjoy this pizza? You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, not that you wouldn't enjoy pizza with Shelly, but if you want to have a shared experience with somebody that might like the same thing, you're probably going to choose that that friend to go out with. Yeah. You're not going to go to, you know, a freaking like punk concert with your friend that like loves pop only, right? It's like, and so for for me, that's what polyamory is. It's not somebody over something. It's that we prefer this together and we prefer this together. And that doesn't make us, that doesn't, we don't practice hierarchy. So I don't say this is my primary partner. This is my secondary partner. Some people do that. And that is a totally beautiful, fine way to be polyamorous. There's no the, I feel like the only wrong way to be polyamorous is to be not ethical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. right. But if, if one or more party doesn't know. Does not know. <laughs> right. They're in a polyamorous poly- relationship. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. And so, you know, f- so for me, like, the, I feel more complete now than ever because, um, because I'm experiencing love uh, fully and honestly, the way that I actually love. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that would have been available to me if um, I didn't have, I mean, Cal, first and foremost, to introduce me to, you know, polyamory. Um, and then Key being open to, um, you know, engaging in a relationship with me when she had never uh, done anything like that before. So Key would not consider themselves 
uh, polyamorous or no? So she, okay. so she doesn't. So her pronouns are she, her. Okay. And Cal is he, him. Um, and so no, Key Key identifies as a monogamous person in a polyamorous relationship. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. What about Cal? And Cal is monogamish. Um, <laughs> and so we t- He's always learning. He's always. Um, he's always. I love. This is what I love about Cal. He is always pushing the envelope. He is always he he does not settle into one identity and he pushes me to do that same thing. So while sometimes it's a little bit annoying because I'm like always chasing out wait what are we doing now? What <laughs> you know like where are we? What's what's this re- relationship dynamic like, you know? I, we joke about he's changed his name like three times since I met him but <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> joke about it. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. That was the olden days. This is the new Cal days. You know? <laughs> so It's Cal time now. It's Cal time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that. I'm totally going to. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but um, so he said to me, I think I might only like love you romantically for now. And I said, OK, that's fine. And he's like, is that weird? Like, I mean, I'm fine. Like, you know, being with other people and experimenting and all of these things. But I might just, I might just want like the cuddles and romance from you. I might, and I just keep it open. I'm like, babe, let's try it. Like, okay, you know, let's try that. Let's try this. And as long as I, my boundaries are clear and my needs and wants and desires are, you know, taken care of, I am so excited for him to explore his sexuality and his his relationship to other people, whatever that relationship might be. Long answer for a tiny little question. Yeah. But. These are these are good answers. <laughs> okay, because good. like we obviously I want to know just generally like your history and, and your life and stuff, but also this is I'm learning. I've I've never had like a open conversation with a polyamorous person. And so this is just like all the 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 possibilities of it are yeah. lovely. I love that. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a wonderful world out there when we start to break down the barriers, especially breaking down the barriers of love. How can we invite more love in our lives in a more authentic way? And polyamory is not for everyone. And monogamy is not a bad thing. You know, I, I mean, I look at all love as being so awesome as long as it's we're we're practicing consent, we're practicing honest communication, we're practicing transparency, and we're constantly leveling up, you know? And you can do that in a monogamous relationship. You can absolutely do that. And you can also do that in, in a polyamorous relationship as well. And I don't think that there's enough representation out there for healthy poly dynamics because most of the dynamics that I see on media or even out there just that are portrayed at all always turn out to be like really shitty, Mm -hmm. really, really negative. And I just feel like that's so, it's so far from what we're doing. We're we're like old, like boring (laughs) lesbians with four cats we have a home meal prep you know like the the boxes shipped to us with all of the ingredients like you know it's it's not like we're not having parties and orgies and shit like people think we are we are like a 
below average normal family. Just boring. Yeah, it it is really, it seems like it's really similar to bisexuality where like it's over-sexualized. Yep. Like just because you're attracted to who you're attracted to does not mean that you're like a sex fiend. And if you are, who like, cares? Great. It's not. It's nobody's business, but <laughs> right, your own. Right. But like, it also is just about who you love and about comfort and and who you want to build a life with. And that, wow. Let me ask a question that's completely selfish because this is our podcast. Yeah, please. Um, fuck you. This is our podcast. I, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> you. Me first. Me first. <laughs> So Shelly and I on this podcast, um, and and because this podcast is our life, like the, this is just reflection of what we're choosing going forward in our life. But we have come to understand over the last eight years that like we are each other's like partners in life. You know, yeah. we're like, we're best friends. We're in it together. Like I'm going to consider her when I think about my next career steps and she's going to consider me when she thinks about hers. Like we just know that that's like where we're at, but there is, there doesn't seem to be any sort of romantic interest from either one of us to sort of, to, to do life in a typical life partner way that it's expected Mm -hmm. from society that like, if we're considering each other in this way, that we would be like, dating and married and all that kind of thing. Right. Or romantically involved, Um, which means that we are going to date and possibly marry, who knows, um, other people, other humans that we are sexually and romantically interested in. Mm -hmm. How does that understanding of our lives differ from a polyamorous relationship? It doesn't. In my opinion, it does not. So in, in our... In, like, the poly community, um, if you two were uh, nesting partners. Is that what we are? Ooh, Cute. <laughs> I like it. And guess what? You can be nesting partners, and uh, that can mean whatever it means, period. Right? And you can say, you know, Shelly and I are nesting partners, and we are life partners because you do your life together. You go grocery shopping together. You pay bills together. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. You kind do, of. You do life things. You yeah. clean the house together, right? Yeah. You do life together. Yeah. You 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 just said, like, I'm going to consider my career. And, you know, if – I think here's the difference. If somebody is a placeholder in your life until somebody else comes, then I think that you are practicing monogamy in that time, right? Like – If you two had this bond that superseded romance, sex, relationships, children, and you were like, this is my life partner, and regardless of who I marry, I want to move my life forward with this person in consideration of this person, then you're partners in that way. You're life partners. You're nesting partners. You're whatever you want to call it, partners, right? But just... So just because you're not romantically connected to somebody, okay, let me give you this. This is a a, a good little uh, piece of tea. I don't know if Cal's gonna be okay with this, but I will ask him if you can put this in the podcast. Yeah, and we'll take it we'll out. Take if it, it off. Not okay. Good. So Cal and I started off as monogamous, romantic, and sexual partners. Okay, we did all of the things like the normal society wanted us to do. We lived together. We paid bills together. We, you know, had sex and we cuddled. 
boom. Our relationship has now evolved in we are romantic partners. We are intimate partners, but we do not have intercourse. Mm -hmm. And do we do sexual things? Yes. But do they look like what you would... Just just for the podcast sake, I just did hole and um, finger, you know, or, or hole and hole, whatever you want to say. Anyway, but we don't like, you know, we don't have what other people would think like sex looks like. Um, that's not a part of our relationship right now. Will it be later? I don't know. Has it been before? Yes. This is all sexual trauma for me and men. Um, and so I have a lot of sexual trauma around having sex with men. Cal's a man, and it has nothing to do with him. And for a long time, I tried to make this my fault, that I was, uh, that, that I was broken, that, oh, my God, I love my partner, and I'm so attracted to him. And he is so cute. I mean, facts. He's a, right? Facts. facts. He is beautiful. <laughs> and he's got those lashes for days. I'm yeah. just like, oh, my His smile. He, uh, he's literally a beautiful human being inside and out, right? I am very attracted to him. But my, my physical trauma, where I am at this point, doesn't allow me to engage in a sexual act with him and, and feel pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with him. And it was a really hard, such a hard part of our relationship to exit a sexual relationship with one another and not and not feel expected to give my partner sex and then for him to feel like deal with the feelings of rejection that might have come from that. It was so hard. I mean, we almost broke up because it was something that like, it's just so hard, but I found, we found ways to love intimately and love each other without engaging in sex. And and we're five years strong and we have a thriving business together. We, I mean, we are in love, like in love legit. And we don't have sex. So, and and what is in love? <laughs> like, what... What does that even look like? It's like, you know, you're in love. You two are in love. You are. You love each other, right? You <laughs> we feel, do love each other. Yeah, we do. You feel this like you can feel it. You the care, the utmost care and compassion that you two have for each other is in love. Yeah. Being involved with each other, right? But the world and society has told us that when we're in love with somebody, we have to do X, Y, Z with them. Otherwise, that's not a valid relationship. Cal is not a placeholder. My girlfriend and I just bought a house together. Does that mean we are moving up on the scale and Cal and I are not? Absolutely not. I am not willing to have Cal out of my life if Cal said, you have to break up with Key and put me first. I would not do that. If Key said you have to break up with Cal and put me first, I would not do that. I would not. And and so for you two, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like let's say you meet somebody, you want to marry them and have sex with them and, you know, have babies or whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that you know, <laughs> happens. Yeah. Right? Like, would you still want to live with Shelly? Yeah. Okay. 
And would you would you want Shelly to? It, it wouldn't matter if Shelly could live there with with uh, Shelly's partner, without Shelly's partner, whatever. Yeah, whatever Shelly comes with, you you want. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about like getting side by side houses so that we're never apart. Yeah, <laughs> with some sort of shared like porch or shared like some part of it is shared so that we still share a a, a place life together. Yeah. yeah. So there's nothing different from what you're doing than what I'm doing. Right, because both of us in our our own relationships are taking apart each individual piece of what a conglomerate relationship is typically supposed to consist of and then deciding what each piece consists of. That's right. It's like you are the blooming onion. (gasps) Each petal. (laughs) Each petal of the blooming onion. I'm just listen, full circle, okay? But, I was yeah. blooming. <laughs> the onion is blooming. Our relationship is blooming. It, like, Everything just, is blooming. Shelly's <laughs> response that was my everything. And that's oh my Jesus Christ. Like, she's just mad because she didn't onion. think of it. It's like we did another uh we, we call these third wheel dates. Oh um, okay, yes. I love that. I'm the third wheel. I'm into this. <laughs> well, we're trying to figure out who's the third wheel. Yeah, who's I that? think I'm the third wheel. Ooh. This is this is a strong connection between you two. I vibes yeah it it goes back and forth yeah but we were on another third wheel date and we kept bringing everything back to jazz (laughs) and this is what it's it's happening again but with blooming (laughs) on (laughs) i mean that was look that is never that is going down in like the the quotes of the of bonnie like (laughs) yes you know what i mean that one was just so good i loved it merch yeah put it on a t-shirt oh my god blooming onion on his t-shirt i know it put it on underwear Period panties. Yes, yes. <laughs> With the little days of the week on it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Albic Steakhouse, call us. We're ready for right. a collab. What exactly. if I just, like, exclusively refer to my genitals as uh, the Bloomin' the Onion? Bloomin- <laughs> <laughs> a Bloomin' Onion is my gender. I am, uh, yes, exactly. My genitals, Bloomin' Onion, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. My Bloomin' Onion You want to get up in my Bloomin' today. Onion? <laughs> New <Yeah>. pickup line? <laughs> Oh on hinge, just be like looking the, for somebody to bloom, bloom my, my onion. onion. Oh, oh yes. god, oh, my god! Pull off the petals slowly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm into this. I mean, look, this can be sexy talk for days because that bloom and onion is fucking delicious. <laughs> okay, look, I'm into it. I don't care. Give me the outside pieces, the inside pieces, the shit with that has the you know the bread crumbs, the crispy, the, the dipping yeah. sauces, the, all of it, all, all of the all dipping of it. sauces, any, any, without any kind of sauce. Take that too. <laughs> Love. Look, my mouth is like literally. <laughs> Take her out back Take and bloom out. her oh onion. <laughs> this is so good. Yeah, this is why I came today. This is why I came. Oh, oh wow. If you so were to good. have told me that I would have referred to my genitals as a blooming onion by the end of the day, oh. I would not have believed you. Oh, so good. <laughs> I tried to get a Bloomin' Onion. <laughs> can't believe I'm talking about this more. <laughs> Recently, I like was like, I just want a Bloomin' Onion. And I got one all to myself. And it was great, but also so salty. Oh, oh my really? God. So salty. I, I, I don't remember it being that salty. I don't know if my tolerance for like salt has just gone down uh-huh. or if they upped the salt in it. But 
it's a, it's a lot now. It is not one that you can take down on your own. Well, it's not meant to be taken down on its own, well, right? Like, it's mm, an appetizer to share. Debatable. <laughs> this is, I mean, like, could I take it down on my own? Yes. Absolutely. Do I want to? Probably. But also, should we? Maybe not. <laughs> our tongue likes it. Our body does not. I'll just say yeah. that. <laughs> our tongue likes it a lot. So mm-hmm. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's mm-hmm. so good. All right, I would be abs. I would kick myself if we left today without talking about how we met and your salon and all the wonderful things that brought us together. Oh my gosh, I know. Like it was almost as if the universe was not going to not let us meet. Like yeah. we were just yeah. going to meet somehow, some way. It was going to happen. So, um, yes, I own a hair salon. It's called Salon Benders. It is in Long Beach, California, um, in like the little queer mecca arts district. And it is um, a little slice of queer heaven, I'd say. We have been open for, I don't know how long we've been open. Like I, <laughs> COVID just, all of a sudden, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't, like, do we count that year or do we not count that year? I don't know, because you had to close because of the, uh, the pandemic pandemic we and guidelines. and nine out of 12 months. Oh, wow. So, like, that would have been technically our third year open, but we were closed. Mm-hmm. So, are we open three years? Are we open four years? I don't know. Anyhow, that... And I own it with my partner, Cal, and he is my um, my hubba hubba partner and also my business partner. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we uh, we started off very small and we do um, we do queer hair. I mean, like, what is that? <laughs> We do. We only do the queer hairs on your head. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this little patch. This one's the queer. Back here, most back, of the back here part. Right. Exactly. But and if you're bisexual, it's literally half, half of, of your head. head. Exactly. Because that's, that's what bisexuality is. That's yeah. exactly right. Only half of your head gets done. Okay. Yeah. Because um, only half of you is queer. Right. 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 <laughs> oh my god, that's so weird. Uh, the fact that people think that though is. Ah. I know it is wild. It's like I mean, and bisexuality is kind of like I mean. Uh, anyway, okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> salon vendors. Um, yeah, so we do. We we have a focus of LGBTQ community. Um, we obviously do everybody's hair, including you know queer allies. We don't do. We don't get a lot of allies that come in. I wish we got more. Um, but um, it is a really safe place for queers to get their hair cut. It does feel that way. Yeah, for sure. Both of you have now gotten your haircut in my hair. Actually, I've cut both of your hair. Yes, you have. In my hair salon. Oh, my gosh. You're now the only person that's cutting my hair yeah. from oh, now on. Wonderful. <laughs> I will take it. I honestly will. I mean, I I don't do as much hair as I was doing, um, but now I'm only doing, like, the people that I want to do. And we're those people. That, it feels like such, like, prestigious little award that you just gave me. <laughs> beep, beep. <No. laughs> I need those little awards to get me through the day. I'll give you a lot of those words because I really, I love, and I so enjoy being with both of you, but also I really thoroughly enjoyed cutting your, both of your hair. Like it gave me a challenge that I haven't, that I don't get all the time anymore. You know, I mean, it's just. What were the individual challenges that you were facing with Shelly's hair and then my hair? Well, your hair, Bonnie. (laughs) Bonnie, Bonnie got at a very eccentric haircut. <laughs> Is that the word That's we're using? That's a generous word. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, a very, very eccentric haircut. And I, I mean, it like it was not what I wanted, and it is not what I told that that man that cut my hair. Yeah. Uh, and he also did this terrible haircut unevenly. Too short and unevenly. I mean, it was not. It was not executed well. It was not a. It was not a well executed haircut, and it was a terrible haircut for your hair type. Absolutely. Like it would have been a fine haircut for somebody who could probably like who had a a a lot of hair or like thicker hair or more curly or coarse hair. But your hair is like a very gentle little angel kiss. It needs to be treated. Certain <laughs> in a certain gentle way, yeah. and um, and so yeah. So my challenge with your hair was really taking those really harsh and hard lines, and your hair was short, right? It wasn't as short as it was. It was shorter than you wanted it to be, and then we had to shorten it even more to even to to get it. A, a little bit right. And right. by the way, it look, both of you look very cute today. Oh, your good. Hair. We your were like, our hair needs to be on point when Jesse comes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, I never do my hair. So like, if you, like ever, ever, ever. I mean, I probably have like some naps back here because I'm, I uh, like took my silk cap off and shook my head and was like, here's my hat. I'm going out. Like, so. I literally like my hair was, I took it down from the ponytail I'd been in for three days uh-huh. and it just like it didn't sit, the gravity didn't hit it at mm-hmm. all. And I was like, all right, I'm putting that back up. I'm gonna, just going to like wash and curl the bangs and it, it'll look like I have my hair done. That's exactly, <laughs> uh, that's my go-to almost mm, daily anymore. <laughs> look, you know, it's like the mechanic that drives a really shitty car. Like, <laughs> I know that my hair can look good. I just don't. Uh-uh. I'm like I'm 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 focusing on everybody else's hair. My hair, I'm like I don't really care about. <laughs> so anyway, but that was my uh, challenge, specific challenge with yours. And and for for Shelly, it was less about Shelly's hair texture because I'm very comfortable with with thick hair. I mean, like I mean, it's like it's my hair. Yeah. Like I'm very comfortable with textured hair. My my challenge with Shelly was that. You hadn't gone to a hairstylist in so long. Like 10 years. And it took, it. I could feel your um, sensitivity around your hair in not a way that was like fragile, but it was like you were very careful and you really were, you were very intentional. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that I honored that, that like, that really like um, engaged, like, intuitive, slow, communicative, you know, hair, you know, like, yeah. and that was just hitting all of the, the emotional like elements behind it was like really my most, that it was most important for me. And that's honestly what, like you gave me a fantastic haircut. Let's be honest. I was a was whole incredible. new person. I was, I had so much audacity after like. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I mean, you left that hair salon a completely different human being. I did. Those pictures my mother literally was like, who is this human that you cut their hair? Holy shit. Like, I had so many people literally from that post just be like, wow, that was such a transformation. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, my hair, it was, you know, it was always glorious. I've always had glorious yes. hair, let's be honest. Yes. But uh, but it was just neglected 
and it was too much and it didn't fit me anymore. But yeah. like it, my personality was tied into it because I've known for the hair. You, I, I walk out of the house, you see this like huge mane of hair, yeah. like that is my identifier. So I was so worried to do anything to it because like, if this is my identity, what happens when it's changed? Yes. And that's what we were talking about, right? Yeah. And like, so really sitting down with you and we had a pre-consultation, right? First of all, we knew each other, which was good, but we had a pre-consultation. And then we also had a consultation the day that you were there. And I remember saying very specifically, Shelly, if we get to the day and you're like, I don't want to do this, I know, then we won't do it, you know? And so we were practicing this like really lovely collaboration for such a long time. I even feel like even before your haircut. And I feel like that is something that hairstylists at this time are neglecting that that it's like we have to have a certain a, a good boundary between professional and client right i mean you you two are my friends but like if it's a you know but when you're sitting in the chair you are paying me for a service at that point and i i have to blend the the professional with the friend and and meet you in the middle, right? And I think that in this industry, a lot of times those lines blur. And when you become friendly with someone, a lot of times you can't take that hat off. And then the service starts to decline. And I'm not saying that I have not been, um, I haven't done this. I have, and this is how I've learned it, right? Like where I have been more relaxed with my friends and not have given them like the most pristine service that I would give somebody that was not my friend. And so throughout my own mistakes, I've learned to be able to like very, very consciously blend those two things together so that I can give a haircut literally from the heart. Yeah. Like something that feels like a piece of art, right? That I'm custom co-creating with you. Um, So I just... Those types of, that's the type of hair that I want to do now. If it has anything, if it's anything other than that, I'm not interested in doing it anymore. Just not. Can I ask what a gender-affirming haircut is? So a gender-affirming haircut to to us at Salon Benders is, is when someone walks through the door, instead of looking at their image, right, of what they're, what they look like, asking them, how could we affirm your gender more through your hair? So that would mean however you are feeling, even if it's just that day. So how are you feeling today, right? And asking someone on a regular basis, right, if I could take an average throughout the week, how could I help you feel yourself every day, even when you leave here? through your hair. So affirming that gender, um, affirming somebody's gender presentation, affirming somebody's gender identity, affirming um, someone's, someone's look by doing hair that they can recreate at home to help them feel like themselves ev- with 
throughout the gender journey, you know, because there are a lot of people who are um, trying on different identities. And so sometimes they want to have more of a mask look. Sometimes they want to be more of a femme look, have more of a femme look. And sometimes people are super androgynous and they want their hair to match that, right? And so that they can kind of like play off of that. But like, Whatever it is that you have going on, whatever, you know, gender identity or presentation that you um, have, we want to be able to affirm that in a way that makes you feel like you're celebrated. There's so many techniques and so many ways to cut an individual's hair to bring out any element that you would want. You know, we unfortunately in the world see so many things as gendered, including haircuts. But when we're affirming our gender, we're just like feeling ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. That's true. <laughs> it, I love that because it really does feel like from experience, us walking into, walking into your salon, it feels like I'm getting cared for inside out and inside first. Yeah. Which to me is such a huge difference between salon vendors and other salons that I have been to. They're looking for an outside-in transformation. Like, what should we do with your hair so that it looks good and then you'll feel confident? Yeah. It's like you are asking, like, what makes you feel confident? Let's find something to fit you. Exactly. And so we have um, a, a consultation method that I've created that gets down to the heart of the matter. So instead of saying, do you have a picture— we ask, why are you here today? What what brings you in? Um, oh, I want a haircut. Why? <laughs> you know, why? It's like a therapy session. Yeah. It, it is in some ways because there's so much trauma around our community and their hair and their image, right? And our image, like this is our community. We know what that feels like. I mean, Shelly didn't get their haircut for 10 years in a hair salon because you got a shitty haircut the last time you, you know, went. Yeah. And I wasn't being like, they didn't know my texture. They couldn't take care of mixed hair. Mm -hmm. it, it just was a lot. And it felt not good. <laughs> it didn't feel affirming. No, it didn't. Right. And so, and I mean, I'm not saying that we nail it every time. I'm not saying that because we sell a lot of stylists who are still growing and learning. But what we're trying to do is get closer to the person's reason for being there rather than what they, the outside in, right? Oh, I'm going to give you this haircut. You're going to feel better about yourself. You're already wonderful. You're already perfectly perfect just the way that you are. How can I help you see that in the mirror when you wake up tomorrow? You know, yeah. and so our 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 care is individual, um, custom care, and it's wraparound care. So it's it's from the very beginning, and then when you leave, you know how to style that hair. You know the products that you need for your hair and scalp. You know how to get a hold of me if you need me, and you're having a hair crisis, and that's why the salon feels so different. It just. It's like, it's not an, it's, it's an indescribable thing. It's something that you can just feel, right? But it comes from um, communication, really. I also love that you guys do um, like a quiet cut because a lot of times when I go to places, I just don't have the energy to talk. And like, sometimes I'll go get a service somewhere else. And I know that part of that person's 
service method is to engage me in conversation. And I'm just not fucking feeling it. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that you offer a quiet cut where that expectation is not there of me is incredible. Totally. And it goes both ways too. So let's say the stylist is in a mood that day that they're in, they're, they're creative, but they're feeling introverted and they don't really feel like having conversation. Then the stylist can also um, request uh, a, a quiet a haircutting day. So they can just say, today I'm having a quiet haircutting day, which means that I'm not going to engage in, in conversation with you. I will talk to you about your hair and the, you know, appropriate things that I need to talk to you and the essential things. And I really want to get your hair right, but I'm not going to engage in any personal conversation today because I'm, you know, I'm not feeling it, which is what we were talking about earlier yeah. and creating a safe place for not just the people who spend money in my establishment, but the people who are, are, are creating a, these are the workers are at the top of my pyramid. My hairstylists are everything to me, and I do everything to make sure that they are feeling strong and capable, and they have autonomy in their chair. Um, and you know, they are not seen as little, you know, money making uh, bees. Like more, more, more. They're not machines. We're human beings, right? And so, you know, the quiet haircut is is. I mean, I practice quiet haircuts almost um, exclusively now when I'm cutting hair by myself. I do a lot of intuitive haircutting now. I do a lot of like Reiki haircutting, spiritual haircutting, kind of like um, energetic haircutting. And when I'm working on my own clients and I do that on a, on my own separate day where it's just me and my clients, they learn that. Every single one of my stylists is Reiki certified. So that's awesome. They all learn. Yeah, I mean, they're not forced to do it. I just, I they get all of their they get all their training for free. So, um, so I I offer that to them, and then they all have loved it, and they're all Reiki certified. So they they have that energetic understanding. So it's it just it starts from like the smallest little details that we don't really share with people because it's just an experience that I want us to have as queer people. We just, we always get dumped on. Like, here, this is what you get. And once the grant fucking runs out, that's it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you had something great. Now the money's not there anymore. So now you don't get it anymore. It's like, we should have the option to pay for a service and really get that service. We should. Yeah. But we don't get that. What is intuitive haircutting? So intuitive haircutting. I'm so curious. <laughs> actually, some people have um, have started doing this. Um, it's interesting. But I like to call it like witchy haircutting. So like when somebody comes in and they're getting their haircut, um, I will channel Reiki and I will say, all right, so, you know, you're coming in. What energetically are you, and you don't have to say this out loud. This is a personal thing, you know. What energetically are you really wanting to shed today? Like, what is it that you just, that no longer serves you, that you just want to release? And, you know, I'll, I'll start channeling Reiki and I'll have the person kind of in the Reiki session and they're meditating and they're really like in it. Like, they're finding what, what it is that they really um, would like to symbolically release. Um, so we cut the hair, you know, we wash the hair, and the whole time I'm kind of guiding the person through, okay, like we're now releasing that, it's coming, it's going, you know, we're washing it with the soap and it's going down the drain. You know, I'm coaching and kind of like guiding 
I've actually done it with Alex once and oh, she loved it. Wow. And, um, and, you know, we, we go back to the chair and, you know, like at that point I'm like, okay. And like, what is it that we're making space for? And the whole time I'm channeling Reiki. So it's a quiet and gentle and restorative service. And when one leaves, it's been quiet, but we are so connected and you can feel that we're connected. And I then intuitively cut their hair feeling what needs to go, feeling, you know, communicating with the person's hair, communicating. That's our antenna. Like that is our antenna. That is where our highest chakra or our brain or our highest being is up here. It's the closest to the heavens, right? This is how, this is our antenna. And I, I like to clean it and, and, and open it up so that there's more space for, um, newness in someone's life. And so that's an intuitive haircut. (laughs) It sounds honestly so restorative. Yeah. I want that. It's awesome. (laughs) Next time we do your hair, we'll do it. You know, we'll, we'll totally do it. It's so, it, it, it's, it feels good to me too. It like Reiki, the way that it's channeled, it's, uh, it goes through us, not from us. So when we're giving a Reiki session, we're also receiving one. Mm. So it also feels very restorative for me to do hair like that, which is one of the reasons why I do that now, because, um, doing hair the other way, um, for as long as I have been doing it felt very taking from me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm starting to do hair in this way that actually, it actually gives to me too. So, and so the sessions are longer um, and they're just lovely. And you can do it without a haircut too, which is just a regular Reiki session, <laughs> which we're going to yeah, do. Exactly, which I'm really excited to do for with you. So, me too. Yeah. Well, I'm in the mood to start our game, but I. I want to take a little bit of a break for my brain yeah. before we start our game, but how does that sound to you? That sounds great how to me. How does that sound great? To you? I didn't know we were playing a game, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Yay. I love games. But we're not dating at all. Thanks for listening to Everybody Ships Us. This podcast is executive produced by Schmangy Incorporated and is hosted, produced, and edited by Shelley Norfleet and Bonnie Dolan with help from our production assistant, Brianna Chapelier. Our theme song was written by Bonnie Dolan and arranged by Andrew Carter, who also does our mixing and mastering. Our cover art was shot by Cynthia Price and designed by Shelley Norfleet. To get into contact with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Everybody Ships Us, and on Twitter at Ships Us Pod. Or you can email us at everybodyshipsus at gmail.com. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast listening app.